My name is Jim Farley, and this is Drive. I'm the CEO of Ford. I love cars, and I believe people get into cars for all sorts of different reasons. It's their identity. It's their job. They want to change the world. They want to have fun. For me, it was simple. I wanted my freedom. My guest, Patrice Banks, is the same. And it all started with a Chevy Cavalier. It was brown on the inside, brown on the outside. Uh, we grew up really poor, and my mom didn't even have a driver's license. She didn't know how to drive. And I worked two jobs in high school to help pay for my Chevy Cavalier. And so I just remember that first car really meaning freedom. I, I came from a really troubled home, and it was gave me the opportunity to kind of escape and get out and uh, find something that was for me. Was there a particular trip where you were like, when I look back, yeah. that was like a moment? Yeah, definitely driving down to the beach with my friends in the summertime, and we got to go by ourselves without our parents, you know, was a big deal. And we just felt like we had the world, right? We owned the world. You couldn't tell us nothing. We were having a good time. So what was on the radio? <laughs> Bone Thugs and Harmony, uh, Notorious B.I.G. Oh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> was definitely playing. Yeah, we were listening to rap music. I had that car all the way through college until I let a boyfriend drive it. <laughs> and um, he burned out the engine just being stupid. I miss him. I'm mad at my boyfriend. <laughs> Where do you think? Where do you think so it like, is right now? I'm hoping heaven, all cars go to heaven, the good ones. <laughs> yeah. It'd be great if we could track the cars in our lives and right. we can go like and right. talk to the other people. Right. Well, anyways, last night I was in Detroit and I was driving up Lake St. Clair. If you ever seen uh, Gran Torino, that movie with Clint Eastwood, there's a last scene where he's driving along the water. I was on that road and um, I drove by mm -hmm. a park and I... I looked at that park and I said, oh my God, that's the place I kissed my first girlfriend. I was from uh, Connecticut when I was 14. I, I worked in engine rebuilding business in LA. I, I bought a, a 1966 Mustang and over the summer I rebuilt the mm -hmm. engine and uh, without any license or insurance, I drove it across the country back to Michigan. And um, that freedom was really intoxicating. And I had such pride in that car, you know, people like, why, why are you washing it twice a day? It was like, because yeah. it's my car. And yep. uh, anyways, yeah, so last night I hadn't thought about that in 40 years, but <laughs> I remember also not telling my parents I was going to drive it down to Detroit on the way back to Connecticut yeah. and uh, just so I could see her. And uh, that moment happened in my life, and it gave me a lot of confidence to drive across the country. And I don't want to say disobey my parents, but we'll do whatever I wanted to. It's a risk too, right? It's like taking a risk doing it, but it's believing in yourself and saying, I can do it. You're not afraid, right? And that's what kind of entrepreneurs are made of. So let's talk about the business you built. Your concept is kind of different than the normal experience for repairing a vehicle. And, yeah. and what was your vision and how did you put the pieces together to pull off a different experience for your customers? Yeah. It's interesting. One of my favorite quotes is from Steve Jobs. He says, you can't connect the dots until you look back. And when I look back on my life and my car life, I think, man, I've been preparing my whole life for Girls Auto Clinic. Um, when I was an engineer, me and one of my friends, she also worked for DuPont as an engineer, we would 
we would go to my office and we would eat lean cuisines and we would book our oil changes at like a quick lube spot and there was a nail salon next to it. So we would get our nails done while we were getting our oil changed. And we just thought we were so clever, right? Just, you know, women were always multitasking. And so when I was thinking of, I want to create experiences for women that they look forward to with their car, they'll be excited about. I was excited to get my oil changed because I knew I was getting my nails done. And so when I was creating an, a business, auto repair catered to women, we hate taking our cars in, right? It's a chore to do that. You're nervous that you're going to be taken advantage of. You're sitting in a really uncomfortable waiting area, right? Often for me, I yep. was being like hit on. I just never enjoyed it. And for that reason, I waited forever to take my car in to get repairs, which made me an auto airhead and not taking care of my car and more likely to be taken advantage of. So we wanted to make sure the experience was um, something that women felt comfortable with and they looked forward to. So I took on my own experiences and asked other women, you know, what would be great for you if you were bringing your car in? What would make you look forward to it? Yeah. And so, you know, we hire women mechanics. We do have some male mechanics. We're not all women. Um, so women love that, that they can actually talk to another woman about their car. Um, we have a nail salon here so you can get your nails done while you're waiting. We've got like a, a beautiful lounge, a workspace for women. And I'm going to bring you out here and I'm going to show you what's going on, where we see the leak, why we're telling you you need this. And they love that, right? They love bringing their kids, too, because their kids are seeing women working on cars. Um, it's becoming normal for them to see a woman mechanic. And and ultimately, when you make a space for women, you know, and feminism is about intersectionality. We've got a lot of our customers are from the LGBT community because they feel safe here. And we want to make sure that um, we're serving people who felt underserved or felt mistreated or misunderstood. You know, we all have vehicles. We all need our vehicle. And it's important that they feel good about their cars and their choices they make. And that's what ultimately I'm trying to create that type of experience that I would want, right? If I was taking my car in. Yeah, let's mm -hmm. talk about that because I'd like to talk a little bit about this whole male domination of automobiles where half of the customers or more than half of the customers feel completely mm -hmm. intimidated by getting mm -hmm. car serviced yeah. or buying a car to the point where yep. super smart Lehigh yes. graduates um, <laughs> d ask their yep. brother or cousin or father or boyfriend to go buy the car for them. I mean, w what the heck happened? You know, I mean, it's kind of just the issue that we're having in general right now when we're talking about women's and women's rights. It's society and what we believed women's role in society was for many years is changing as women are becoming empowered. And it's not, society's kind of not catching up as fast as women would like, right? So here I am an engineer, I'm working for DuPont, but I called myself an auto airhead. I didn't think I'd understand my car. I thought it was just for the guys. And I didn't even want to try to learn. I thought it was going to be words I wasn't going to understand, turbo and horsepower. Nope, already over my head, eyes glazing over. It's not for me. Um, and it's because it wasn't relatable for women. It was to me when I was looking at why do I feel this way, right? I actually um, was writing a blog about things that we have to pay a man to do or we have to ask a man for help because it wasn't just my car, right? It was other things like investing in stocks, right? Yep. It was fixing yep. a leaking faucet, right? I, I owned my own house and I needed to ask a guy for help. So I started looking into why and I was researching women everywhere. What do you wish that you had to, um, that you have to pay a man to do or you have to ask a man for help? What do you wish you knew? And overwhelmingly, I got my car. 
And I'm like, me too. I hate my experiences. And so I started looking for a woman mechanic. I get online and I type in female mechanic on Google and it had women in bikinis next to the muscle cars, right? I couldn't find a woman mechanic. I was asking people everywhere. And that's when I decided to, I was going to go back to school and learn because I, I saw a need. I'm like, women need to know this stuff, right? There's no thing really out here that's catering to them that's saying, we understand you're not having great experiences and we want to create some services and products that are sure. going to help you feel good about your car, right? Uh, feel confident about your choice. Feel like you're a smart consumer and a confident buyer because I didn't feel that way. And I was looking for something to solve a problem in my life. So I am, I was still working full-time at DuPont and I enrolled in automotive technology school. I was going at night bunch of 19 year old boys. I was 31. And as soon as I was learning, I couldn't wait to teach. I was like, wait, this is all it is? Really? That's not that hard. That's not rocket science. I can talk to women about the important things they need to know about their car so they know how to take care of it well, so they have better experiences, so they don't feel taken advantage of. Um, and, you know, they'll feel good about themselves. So how's, how's having the shop changed that for your customers, for you? Women come to me and they're like, thank you. I now have the confidence to do something else that may have something typically male dominated or that they didn't feel confident doing. Now they want to go and try it or they can't wait to go home and talk to their husband about cars. Um, it gives them this new confidence of, yes, I can do this. What else have I been afraid to do? This is why we brought up this chicanic. I call them chicanics, right? Like, <laughs> I, I feel so good that I'm able to help women feel good about these experiences, not think that they need a guy, know that they can be are capable of taking care of their car and making decisions with their vehicle. It's their money. And that comes with educating them about the best way to spend their money and the best way to take care of their car. So starting this business has really helped me understand that the teaching that goes hand in hand with it is we're not just providing the service, but we're also providing them an education. How do you treat your car better? How do you make these right decisions when you go to the mechanic you know, I tell women, mechanics aren't always taking advantage of you. You know, they're not. We come in with our armor up when we go into a shop and we don't know if we're being taken advantage of or not, but we may not be asking the right questions. Sometimes the mechanic doesn't know, right? They're not intentionally harming you, but they may just not know, right? That's why it's important to be armed with the knowledge yourself. And they didn't have any availability to it until Girls Auto Clinic came out, until, you know, I'm going to create this information that you need that's going to help you and I'm going to make it relatable and make it fun, um, right? Think of your engine like a vagina. Does your car have boogies? We treat our cars like, like our bad exes. All right. You have any other ones like that? That's a good list. Keep going. Keep going. I yes. like that list. Yes. <laughs> um, I tell us the biggest mistakes we make with our cars is cheating on our mechanics, right? We shop hop. Oh, got it. Um, they love that. Um, we talk about relationships and what we look for in a partner and, you know, commitment and, um, you know, communication. Your car is constantly communicating with you, whether it's through your dashboard or through a noise or through a smell, right? Um, listen to it and pay attention. So there in Philly, uh -huh. I can imagine, you know, you're growing your business, you start it, you have this really great customer that's like super hungry mm -hmm. for what you're doing. How is the car world taken to you as you rightfully disrupt our I industry. love this question because um, I'm an outsider, right? And I came on the scene, not from the automotive industry, but with a big plan. I, I did an op-ed in the Washington Post and man, did I get a lot of hate 
Um, you don't know what you're talking about. You <laughs> need guys. You're just trying to be sexy in your red heels, right? You're trying to play on that. Mm. And mm. Um, I didn't really mind with the guys. I was kind of like, whatever, I'm not here for the men. I'm here for women. I'm very focused on who my product and service is for. I did get a lot of um, slack from women in the industry initially, which hurt my feelings. <laughs> Tell us more about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that they thought I was talking bad about the industry and that maybe I wasn't honoring other women that may have come before. But I didn't think that anybody was doing anything or talking about it on a big scale. It wasn't just about the automotive industry. There's, there's this whole wave of women's empowerment coming and we want changes in tech and we want changes in the automotive industry. And it, it's a lot of talk, but no action, right? And I was that person, like, I want action. I mean, that's what got me a lot of attention outside of the industry. I was getting a ton of attention. And, and inside the industry, they were like, who do you think you are? You know, which is rightfully so. Who did I think I was? <laughs> Patrice Banks. I didn't know what I was doing. I just, you know, I said, I talk a lot of shit. I put myself out there and it, and it, I do believe that I was right, you know? And a lot of times when you're a, a, the first one doing something like this, you get a lot of hate and now you're starting to see them following up. Ones that said you're doing it wrong are having businesses around how can we provide services to women in their cars, so. <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally understand what you're saying. And what I love about your perspective is that, you know, in some ways, you're saying, I don't really care. As long as I'm serving these customers and solving problems and accomplishing my, the opportunity, use your words, yeah, so what, so what? It's the price that comes with being the bold, loud person that wants to make a change. We'll be back in a minute. I'm Jim Farley, and this is Drive. Hi, I'm Jim Farley. This is Drive, and my guest today is Patrice Banks. Uh, so let's take a left turn. I want to talk about electric cars. You know, at Ford, we're spending $30 billion, not $30 million, $30 billion on completely changing our business and going to electric cars, retooling our factories. And um, electric cars, for me, I had took me a while to realize it, are, are better cars. Um, but one of the reasons why they're better is that they have 20 or 30% less moving parts and the parts that they eliminate are the really complicated problems that you're trying to solve every day, powertrain mostly. How do you think about an electric car, not as a consumer, but as someone who owns a business that repairs internal combustion engine vehicles? So the problem I'm trying to solve is why do women have bad experience in the automotive industry? And I believe it's because there aren't women working in this industry, right? Less than 2% of women are mechanics, less than 7% sell cars. And so I see this electric vehicle coming and I think it's an, not an obstacle, but an opportunity. Um, I hire women mechanics here at Girls Auto Clinic. So how can we make sure with this when the electric vehicle industry comes that we are hiring, training women to work on these cars um, to solve the problems that they're going to have. Um, do we have women involved with the decisions making these electric vehicles? Because 
women are going, again, if we're the number one customer in the automotive industry, we're going to be for electric vehicles. And so how can we make sure we're still including women as this market is growing and not make the same mistake of excluding them and building a product without including half your market? And so part of what I'm doing with Girls Auto Clinic is not just opening repair centers, but how do we get more women hired, trained, and, and retained in this industry? Um, and that includes the electric vehicle market. I'm very excited about how we can get involved with that. Um, and, and it may even be an opportunity to include more women because it's not the backbreaking, knuckle-busting work like removing engines and things like that. So you have an opportunity here to diversify your workforce. And um, some of the issues that we have that I've seen that's, you know, women do struggle with working in the industry, um, especially because it's very laborious that you, the work that you're doing is when we do have children or they're getting older, they often drop out. And so I plan to be a part of it and to be here as, as a help and to help train and educate women and and, and um, retain them, figuring out ways that we can create um, a workspace that, you know, is accommodating to women so they will stay in these roles. So on a really serious topic, which is yeah. the one you're bringing up, um, at Ford today, just in the U.S., we have 10,000 dealers around the world. Mm-hmm. We have about 4,000 in the U.S. In those 4,000 dealers, average has probably 10 lifts and service base. And right now, our current gap between the amount of customers coming in who want their vehicles repaired and the actual technician count we are short somewhere around 20,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know this because you, mm-hmm. you're finding your team every day and, and training them and scaling it. Um, what do you think we should do mm-hmm. about this talent gap? Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, these are good jobs. They're tough jobs, like you yeah. said, but they're good jobs. They can yep. be really rewarding and, and uh, you can have a great living. But it's a crisis in our industry. Yeah. What do you think we should do? So I do believe that it's a crisis. Um, I do believe it's cultural, right? And I know when I went to school, you got to go to a four-year school. You got to be an engineer if you want to have a good career. All the kids who weren't smart went to the trade schools and went to the automotive schools, right? And so it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. And and kids don't want to go to those schools because they weren't considered smart, right? So this kind of communication is important and what we're telling our kids about it. So they're trying to do that now where they're changing the conversation about you can have a good career, you can make money. You need to be smart to be a technician, to be a mechanic. This is not a job for people who don't get good grades, right? This is this is tough work. You need to be able to be a critical thinker. Um, you need to be able to solve problems. You need to be able to think in puzzles. It's not easy, right? So it's changing that conversation. But also, how do we hire women to help fill these gaps? Now, I get emails and I've been on calls with some, you know, executives at, at Jiffy Lube and Carvana and some of these big Name saying, Patrice, how do we find women? How do we find people of color? How do we find um, techs that are from the LGBT community? Because they want to recruit. They're like, we're going to high schools and we're recruiting. And I'm like, stop recruiting. I get emails almost every week from women. They're in their 20s, 30s, 40s. Um, I love cars. I want to work on cars. I don't. And here's why. I was 
discouraged when I was a kid and told I had to go into something else if I wanted to make money. I did join it and face discrimination or I didn't have sponsors or advisors, didn't get good jobs. So they drop out of it and they go into a different profession and they see me and they're like, how can I want to learn? Can I can I come work for you for free? And I'm just this small little three-bay shop in Philly. I don't, I can't hire all these beginner women, but I talk to these executives and I'm like, listen, um, I'd love to create some type of program where we can train these women. You guys can help and we can start filling these positions with getting not, not 16, 17, 18-year-olds right out of high school, but there is a market of women in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s that want to do this. They're looking to change their career. They're feeling more empowered. So it's about the representation obviously, changing the conversation about what it means to be a technician, how important our roles are to to society too, right? Like you can't outsource a car mechanic. (laughs) And, you know, um, we need to get more women involved if we want to close this gap. And I believe that it's going to take time and resources um, creating workspaces that fits majority of women working in it, right? Most of the time women don't work at dealerships is because your hours are nine to nine, right? You six days a week sometimes. It's not accommodating to women with children. If women have to come in late or bring their kids to work because the kid was off at school, right? We, we have to accommodate those types of things and think about that when we're, we're hiring women. Um, so, you know, how can we get them trained and build spaces for them that they'll retain these positions? They're not gonna leave again because, you know, they're the only one. And we know how hard that is to be the only one as a woman or a person of color. Yeah. So I, I think you're absolutely right. It's about um, designing opportunities for people, but doing it in a way where it's safe and they, they have a safety net uh, to learn. And it's, yeah. and it's an encouraging place. So yeah. um, a guy named Phil Hill gave me a chance to work on cars. He gave me a, a job as a custodian. And then after a year, I got upgraded to his interior person. I learned more about what makes a good car a good car at that shop than I have any day since then. Yeah. And uh, if that person had not given me that chance, I'm sure there's no way I would be uh, leading Ford. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I totally get that. That makes yeah, sense. And a, cause a, yeah, and a lot of these women, like they, they can't really afford to go back to school for automotive, you know, because um, it's, not cheap. And it also is a lot of time. Right. And so they want to be in the industry. They want to work in the industry, but they don't know how to get in. Um, They don't have a lot of money for training, um, but they do have the passion. And the automotive industry is saying, where can we find women? I'm like, well, they're in my inbox. Right. Like, how do we get them? How do we capture these these women and, and help them? So I'm excited. You know, it's just good for the automotive industry. So I think that's what I believe I'm doing is solving a problem for both women in the automotive industry. Well, uh, it's wonderful to work in an industry that um, is being changed by people like you. Uh, Thank you. So on that note, maybe final question. Um, OK. What advice would you give me as a CEO of Ford? Start thinking about, I'm sure you are, <laughs> but what, you know, understanding the value that women can bring, not just as the consumer, but working for you and building your products and services and to include teams with majority women. Maybe it's a team, five women and two men, you know, building cars or something. Um, being very intentional about it. And um, I think it's going to be important. 
uh, moving forward for any business is is making sure they're very intentional about their diversity as we're becoming, you know, larger global economy. Women are becoming more empowered. You know, we're, we're doing business with people all over the world that speak different languages, that look different and have different cultures than us. The automotive industry is prime for change. You know, sure it's is. still mainly white male. Sure is. And um, I know that it's hard and a lot of people don't know where to start. Um, the future is about building your own communities for your products or services and, and, and listening to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think finding those communities and women is a big one that are gonna help you design your next product and services, not leaving them out and figuring out how we can get them involved um, as customers, but people who work for Ford. Well, thank you, Patrice. I know you're open for business still, so I'll let you yes. get back to your customers and, and all you're thank doing, you. uh, running much. a business. <laughs> uh, I don't know how you get any sleep, but um, I, I'm just so thankful to have this time to learn from you, uh, to listen to you, uh, to continue to motivate people like me to accelerate yes. the change in our industry because we're moving too slowly. And um, I really appreciate um, the time together and I wish you nothing but success. And Thank I have you. some ideas on maybe how we could solve some problems together. Okay. Thank you. Yes, you too. Drive is produced by Jesse Baker and Eric Newsom of Magnificent Noise for Spotify. Chris Curtin is consulting producer. Our production staff includes Julia Knott and Eva Walchover, with help from Lori Arpin, Jeff Nelson, Josh Malofsky, Darnell Macon, and Mark Truby. Special thanks to Liz Kellogg and Matt Lieber. Jim Farley is the host, and this is Drive.